Good morning. Can you hear me? All right. Just want to make sure that everybody is able to hear. So uh, I am so happy to be here with you, and I appreciate you welcoming me and uh, having me uh, to be with you. And I'm so grateful as well uh, for making Hope for the Second Generation uh, your uh, Mission Month partner. And uh, uh, I want to say thank you about that as well. Uh, just to tell you a little bit about Hope for the Second Gen, uh, it's a ministry that is wanting the vision of the vision of Hope for the Second Gen is to plant churches, plant churches uh, uh, by really mobilizing second generation immigrant children, that are adults. Uh, the concept or the idea or the vision really came out of our own personal lives. Uh, came here to this country about almost close to 40 years now, and uh, our children were born here. And, uh, uh, and as a church planter and as a pastor myself uh, in San Jose, California, we planted a church that's an, an Ethiopian congregation. And little did we realize that our children could not connect to the kind of uh, you know, the church culture that we had. For one, they don't speak the language. Uh, growing up and being born here in this country, uh, their world is a bit different from our first, the first generation group. So our children, uh, when they were children, it was okay to manage, but as they grew older and became in the, get in, got into the middle schools and so on, uh, the cultures were really separating. So our children were going to a, an English uh, group where ministry is happening for them in the language that they understand well. Uh, and as they grew older and became teenagers, uh, they were part of uh, a youth group of an, an Anglo-English-speaking group. And uh, uh, so they were not really part of the church that I planted and I was working at. Uh, and uh, this came to us in a very stark way one morning when my wife told my, my, our older son to get ready to go to church for we had some kind of event at our church. And she said, get ready, we're just going to the church. And he said, to your church or my church? Here is a church that I've been working to develop and, and, and the planting. Uh, and my, ch- my children could not even become part of it, simply because of culture and language differences. That was when we began to realize uh, that we, our children really needed a different kind of church, which is an English kind of church like this, uh, but not just... Uh, English speaking, but also a multi-ethnic kind of church because they uh, uh, they are ethnic in, in a way. So uh, it's out of that brokenness and our our, our own uh, need that we started to think about planting second generation churches. So God really uh, helped us in to, to really think through this uh, challenge of cross-cultural ministry. And I left the church that I was pastoring at that time, gave it to uh, other pastors to come and lead and move to a seminary to really think about how to really plan a church and, and work on second generation immigrants. And by the way, this is an issue with uh, an immigrant community, not just Ethiopians as a whole, uh, Hispanics, Asians, what, anyone that you might uh, think about who have come here to this country and the first generations usually want to you know, create a community for themselves and will be m- much cultural uh, in the way that they would want to, uh, that reflects their home and their, 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 their home. Uh, 
but the second generation does not belong there in some ways. So that's the challenge. So hopefully the second generation is planting churches about, we're, we're saying 25 plus churches planting in North America. And uh, uh, in the last 10 years, we were able to really uh, coach and empower and, and also support four church plants in different cities in the U uh, here in the U.S. and also in Europe. One in London, two in the U.S. here, uh, Washington D.C., Minneapolis, and one in Toronto. And we want to do the same thing uh, more and more because the immigrant community uh, needs this kind of mobilization. So that's what Hope of the Second Generation is. If you have questions about uh, what our ministry is and you want to talk to me about that, and there's a book there, I think. Uh, yeah, there's a book that, I, about, that tells about that in the book I wrote. Uh, you can welcome to that. Uh, $15 do donation is okay, and if you want to take it, that's also okay. So, uh, but if you want to talk to me, I'll be happy to do that. Now, having said that, let's just go into the Word. And uh, today's uh, passage is First John chapter 4, verse 7 through 21. Uh, and I do know that you've been on a sermon series on First John, so I don't need to go into backgrounds or context or anything like that. But just delve into the passage itself, First John chapter 4, 7 through 21. Uh, do we need to read it, Michael? Okay, all right. So, uh, as you see that passage, uh, the passage really emphasizes the nature of God uh, 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 as love and encouraging uh, believers to both receive and express uh, that love in their relationship with others. It's it, the theme of it, or if, I'm, if I give it a, a, a title, I would just call it the primacy and the power of God's love. So, in this passage, we see God uh, as depicted being love, that it is his nature, it's his true essence. Uh, that's who he is. And uh, it highlights that love is not just an abstract concept, but a tangible expression of God's character uh, in the passage. That's what we see. So the theme revolves around the, transform, the transforming power of the God's love and its ability to drive out fear and bring about reconciliation, and serves as a unifying uh, force among believers. So it's really about God's love. The passage also underscores the importance of love as a defining characteristic of those who truly love God and encourages believers to walk in love, both towards God and their fellow human beings. So it's really about, uh, it defines God as being love, that's who he is, that's his character, that's his nature. And those who have experienced the love of God are ex expected to imitate and express that love as it is. So let me just share with you about, about four, five points uh, on that passage. Uh, point number one is that uh, it, John tells us that God himself is the origin of love. He is the source of it. This is how it reads. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not, love, does not know God, because God is love. God is love. According to John, love is not just merely a characteristic of God. It is his essence, as I just said earlier. John makes it clear that anyone who loves is born of God and knows God. 
for God is love. Love flows out from his being, defining his nature and his character. So he's telling us that love finds its origin in God himself. So when we talk about love and the love of God, and when we talk about love as is, we're really talking about God himself. He's the ultimate source, and it is from his very nature that love flows out of. Uh, one way that we can think about this uh, is that just to imagine a radiant sun you know, shining in the sky, bringing warmth, okay? Warmth uh, and light to all creation. In the same way, that's what God's love does. It ra radiates from his heart, encompassing all the baptized. His love just comes into our lives. This means as recipients of divine love, we are called to embrace it fully and allow it to overflow into the lives of others. We receive it, and we just pass it on as well. We become that. And point number two uh, is, uh, uh, we, we, we see in verse 9 and 10 that God himself modeled love for us. So we don't have any uh, excuse about really understanding what love looks like. In verse 9 it says, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that God loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So what the Apostle John tell, really tells us is that the magnitude of God's love, you know, the expression of it is that Jesus came to this world to die for us. The way God modeled it is that he sent his son and gave his son for you and I to be redeemed. So he modeled love. He, he, it's, it's not something, a concept or an idea anymore. It is an action, so to speak. So John is saying Jesus is the manifestation of God's love. It is through his sacrificial death on the cross that God reconciled him, uh, you know, uh, us and himself. And not just only us and himself, but reconciliation with each other, vertically and also horizontally. This selfless act demonstrates the depth of his love and the lengths to which he was willing to go for our redemption. That's what God did. I mean, the depth of his love and also I mean, the extent that he really loved us is shown by him giving his only begotten son. So he acted, he modeled love by giving and sacrificing his own son. So God's love is not merely a concept. It's not a feeling. It was demonstrated through the sacrificial act of his son, Jesus Christ. That's how God showed us and modeled love for us. So uh, just a way to picture this can be, you know, thinking about a rescue mission. You know, we... we we know about rescue missions. You know, somebody is in trouble, and some person, some person or some entity would go to rescue that person. That's one way to think about it. We're sinners and uh, in need of God's love and redemption. God sent His Son to do just that. So Jesus, our hero, really willingly came to this world and became like us, man and died for us and paid the price for our reconciliation. 
So the point is, God's love is not just only a concept or a feeling. It's not an abstract thing anymore. It is an act. Uh, an act. It's a tangible thing that really brings us back to God and also reconciles us with each other. Uh, point number three, uh, as you read this passage, is that John tells us how God's love is expressed in the world. Okay, he sent his son and we are saved. Uh, now, how does that get expressed in this world, the world that we live in? Notice passage, uh, the passage, verse 11 uh, through 16. It says, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So he loved us, and what are you supposed to do with that? Love one another, as it says in the Word. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and His love is made complete in us. In other words, God is really manifested in this world through the love that we have received and the love that we share with other people. He is invisible. He is obviously. Uh, no one has seen Him, it says, as we read in the Scripture. But through the love of God that we have experienced and uh, sharing it with others, God is manifested in this world. It goes on to say, this is how we know that we live in Him and He in us. He has given us of His Spirit. So we have His Spirit as baptized people of God. We have His Spirit. And we have seen and testified to us that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. So, well, we have not seen, but we have experienced the love of God. And because we have experienced the love of God, the forgiveness of God... And we have a relationship with God, and we have, because we're baptized, now we testify, we express, we talk about this love, and we live that love amongst each other. That's how uh, God's love is expressed, and it impacts the world. And it says, and so we know and rely on the love God has for us, and God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in him. So really, John's message when he wrote this was that love, the love that we experience from God is uh, something that we just don't keep with ourselves, but we share it, and it's expressed to the world uh, because we have received that love. So the point is that love is not meant to be kept to ourselves, but it's meant to, shared, to be shared with others. When we experience the depths of God's love, it naturally overflows into our relationship with others. It's like a candle illuminating a dark room, just like a candle. As the flame is shared, it brings light and warmth to all who encounter it. In the same way, our love should radiate from us into the world. I guess that's what the church is supposed to be in this world as an extension and ex expression of God's love. As we love one another, just as Jesus has commanded. He said, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, he says, everyone will know that you, may, you are my disciples if you love one another. The whole world will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The point and the message here is that it is through the love among the believers, the baptized, that really expresses God and, and makes God really visible in this world that we live in, a broken world for that.
Point number four is, uh, uh, in, it's John writes in verse 70 through 21 about the confidence that we have when we practice this love. Here's how it says, it says it. This is how love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment, the one who fears, it, who fears is not made perfect in love. I mean, in this verse, John shares with us about the promise of God's love in our lives. It does something very powerful in us. We all know that fear is a very crippling force. Crippling, you know, it hinders relationships. It damages, you know, uh, us in many different ways. But God frees, I mean, love frees us from that, God's love. So when we fully embrace God's love and allow it to shape our lives, fear and doubt are replaced with confidence and assurance. God's love drives out fear, as it says in the scripture, and the confidence to approach him boldly. We approach him boldly. We're not afraid of God, simply because of the love of God. In Hebrew uh, chapter 4, there's scripture where it talks about how we approach God. And in verse 14 it says, Therefore, since we have the great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus the Son of God, and it says in verse 16, Let us then approach God, God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in, in time of our need. We're not afraid of God simply because God loves us and has accepted us and forgiven us and as we love one another, that becomes a confidence, an assurance, a promise. And we can come up and approach God freely uh, with that. So what comes to mind really is a father um, and a child, you know, uh, running fearlessly into the arms of a loving parent. Knowing they will be embraced and accepted and protected. That's the kind of freedom that we have with love. As we love God, the love of God frees us to be able to approach God. Uh, without any kind of reservation. Paul, in fact, uh, talks about this very thing, you know, uh, also. But in point, point number five, verse 19 through 21, there is one more thing that I, I like to say and, and end it here. Uh, it says this, we love because he first loved us. So it's not, it doesn't originate from us, it originates from him. He loved us first. And when I read that, uh, I, I think about, you know, how we relate with others. Uh, what this says to me is, you know, uh, when it comes to loving others, we have to imitate him. We don't have to wait until others show us love. We, ha we can initiate and begin to love others. And then they will reciprocate or they may not. But it doesn't really matter. Our task as believers is to love just as God loves. And it says, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or a sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and a sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. I think this is where our love for God is tasted. This is where it's tested. Uh, 
If we say we love God, then we're supposed to love one another as well. Uh, that's probably the acid taste, I would say. In other words, talk is cheap, and uh, it, love is action. It's about giving. It's about reaching out. It's about expressing. It's about loving first. If we don't do that, John says, we are. And, and we say God, we say we, we, we love God, but don't love our brothers. He says, we are liars. Very harsh word, very tough word. But I think it's words that God wants us to hear and wants us to aspire to live by. And uh, again, uh, Paul in 1 Corinthians speaks about love in this way. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but do not have a love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. What he's saying is love is what it's all about. And the love that he's speaking of here, both John and, and, and Paul, is the love that we've received from God. We are able to love because we've been loved. So in other words, what this passage really reminds us is that love is an action. And love has its source in God. And if we belong to God and we're born again, baptized children of God, we have His Spirit in us. We have experienced this love, and so we testify. We express it. Love is an action. That's what it's saying. If I summarize it, I would summarize it this way. Love comes from God, and love is action. It's not just words. It's not a concept. It's not a feeling. It's not an abstract thing. It is action. That's what God did. Because he loved us, he gave his only begotten son, and he sent him for us to die on the cross. And the other thing about love that I find here is that it overcomes, it allows us to overcome fear. We have that ability, really, to approach God and not, not fear judgment, but approach the, grace, the, the throne of grace with full confidence. Why? because of the love that we've received and the love that we are expressing. The last thing that I will say is love is really the proof that we are born of God. If we are children of God and born of God, we love God, we also love our fellow brother and sister. With that, I would ask you to pray with me if you bow your heads and let's just pray. Gracious Father, thank you for revealing your true nature to us through 1 John chapter 4, 7 through 21. Your love is boundless and unfailing. It's reaching us to embrace in our brokenness. Help us to receive and understand this love fully so that it may transform us from the inside out. Fill our hearts with your love so that it overflows, spilling onto those around us. Teach us, God, to love one another as you've loved us, with patience, compassion, and forgiveness. Remove any fear or hesitation that may hinder us from expressing your love boldly. 
May your love be the guiding force in our lives, empowering us to walk in the footsteps of Jesus, who selflessly gave his life for us. Lord, as we experience the depth of your love, help us to extend it to others, even to those who may be difficult to love. Let us be beacons of your love in a world that so desperately needs it, Lord. We all this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.